Welcome back to I've Tried Everything, a podcast focusing on behavior supports in schools. I'm your host, Angela Eisenberg, Project Coordinator at Region 13. Every week, I talk with educators just like you. We cover some tough topics, share stories, and explore what works and what doesn't. Let's go. I'm joined today by William from Deer Park Middle School in Round Rock ISD. William, I'm so glad that you're here with me today. He's a part of our education certification program here at Region 13. So you're new to the profession. Yes, I am. Thank you, Angela. If you had to choose a song to sum up your first month, six weeks of school, what would that song be? I would say it probably has to be uh, I'm Still Standing by Elton John. (laughs) I love that. I love that. I've, I've heard everything from I've tried or I will survive to <laughs> um, rise up. So that's awesome. That's awesome. So thinking about your classroom and the importance of building relationships with students, what is a strategy or something that you've done that you put into place in your classroom that you feel like that has started that really strong relationship building? I would say that my first worry when entering the classroom was Do I know everybody's name? I feel like knowing the name has the power. And that was something I really tried to drive in the first week of school. My mentor on campus is the ECT, the early career teacher instructional coach. And she gave me some advice where she would always do her attendance with a photo of the student. Oh, that's a great idea. And their name. And the teacher access center that Round Rock uses has a photo version of the attendance. And so I use that every single day so that I can recognize that student even when they're outside of my classroom because I feel like it's much easier to redirect unwanted behavior or inappropriate behavior if you know the student's name. That is an excellent uh, way to look at it. When you think about a student's name or even our names, our names are very personal to us. And it's so important that not only do we know their name, but we know how to pronounce their name and make them feel that welcome in that sense. I always did in my classroom the name game where we kind of went through everybody like, hi, my name's Angela. And and then the next person would say, hi, my name's William and that's Angela. And then, because for me, it's a huge repetition kind of thing. But uh, having those pictures and having that correlation so that when you see them in the hallway and you can build those connections with them outside of your classroom is, is a great way to put that foundation of relationships in your classroom. When you think about professional development, in our education certification program, you get tons of professional development that you get on nights and weekends and that sort of thing. And then I know schools do professional development. Of all the situations that you've been in for learning, what would you say is one of the best strategies or tips that has been impactful for you in your classroom? I would say really just making sure that you take the time to teach the behavior expectations that you want your students to follow. Um, The ones that we were provided with, the ones that we gave, we were having examples of um, from Region 13 were super important to me, but I use the five Ps, polite, prepared, patient, responsible. I cannot remember them all because I'm on a podcast for the first time. (laughs) That's Um, okay. But, you know, I... I do stand by them and I introduce them and I reintroduce them and I reteach as necessary. And I really do hold the students accountable by taking the time to share what kind of behavior expectations I have in the classroom. 
Do you consider those kind of your guidelines for success in your classroom? I would, yes. So that they're kind of embedded in everything you do, how that you put procedures in place and that yes. sort of thing in your class. And I do reinforce those guidelines for success through the CHAMPS program as well. Okay. I have that written on my whiteboard. Yeah, I can erase whatever I need to, and then I will pull the class. What kind of activity would we consider to be a successful student model for this uh. activity? And I get to hear their responses. Like, should we be allowed to talk while we're doing independent work? Should we be allowed to talk when we're doing group work? You know, it does vary depending on the scenario. So getting their input and their involvement into creating the expectations for that activity really makes me feel like it is a more equitable way to teach expectations and reinforce them. Because of course, you know, if somebody's going to have a silly answer, like we should be able to talk in a quiet reading session, most of the students are like, well, that's not really fair to everybody else. So it's kind of a self-responsible um, activity for them to understand. And it helps me because I feel like I'm having a classroom discussion with people and they're being very responsible, but we're also setting out classroom guidelines for an activity that I've planned and I want them to do because I spend time on it. It's for their benefit. I love that. So CHAMPS, you referenced, it's from Safe and Civil Schools, Dr. Randy Sprick. Yes. Uh, I am a CHAMPS at too, because I did CHAMPS in the classroom. I found it very beneficial. CHAMPS stands for Conversation, Help, Activity, Movement, Participation. So when we think about those activities in the classroom that we have, whether it's direct teach, guided practice, independent work, you kind of put those um, expectations through that CHAMPS acronym. So can the students talk? Who can they talk to? How loud can they talk? Absolutely. How do you ask for help? Do you say, mister, across the room and you're supposed to walk to them? Or do they, do they raise their hand? And so um, really helps guide the students so that there's not a question of the expectations. I find that when you get into the middle school arena and kids are going to seven, eight different classes in one day, trying to figure out what is this teacher's expectations versus this teacher? When can I ask to go to the restroom? When am I allowed to talk and have just some, some opportunity to have dialogue and socialization with my peers? So having that in the classroom can be extremely beneficial for teachers. So I'm glad that you've established that for your student success. If you had to think about like one burning issue that you have with behavior, something that is still kind of plaguing your classroom management, what is one of those issues that you're facing right now? Yeah, I, I think it's a common issue as well um, that most teachers could, to, could empathize with is I do have a problem with students um, trying to direct mean or hurtful like chirps to other students where if I am redirecting a behavior that is unwanted from a student, and I do that. I have a student immediately follow up with, yeah, you shouldn't do that. Like, or yeah, I can't, you know, serves you right. And I have those conversations in the class. This is a golden rule. Do unto others what you want done to yourself. Do you understand that if you are adding to the negativity in the classroom by chirping out these statements where people are meant to feel bad because you're doing it, you're, you know, you're intentionally not bringing the mood up in the room. You're intentionally leaving like the maturity level at a lower level in the room. That's something I'm still learning about how to address the best way. And I'm not sure if that's a classroom thing or something I need to talk to my other grade level teachers about in terms of like reinforcing kindness in our classrooms more. Thinking about the pandemic and how the pandemic impacted education, 
we talk a lot about learning loss and about the amount of learning that students missed during that time. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about the behavior loss, that leadership and character development growth that they missed and how to appropriately interact with others and what that's supposed to look like. Yes. And so being able to know when to chime in and when not to and that sort of thing is huge. One of the strategies that I've seen be successful in a classroom is doing restorative circles. And there is a closing circle that I saw a video from Edutopia, and it's called Apology, Appreciation, or an AHA. So the students can give an AHA from their learning. They can apologize for any behavior that they might have had or anything in the classroom, or they can give an appreciation to somebody. It kind of has an opportunity for students to own their behavior, but also appreciate things, and it sets a different tone Mm. for their classroom. I really like that, yeah. The other strategy that I've seen is really going back to reinforcement systems of like owning your behavior. And so as a class, if we've really paid attention to us and not what other people are doing, then, you know, it's like kind of like the ticket in the bucket. So it's that way to acknowledge the fact that we're not being engaged in the other piece. But to take it to the next level, I saw this done at a secondary and I've also seen it done in elementary where that students can put something in the appreciation jar. So there's an appreciation jar. Instead of focusing on the negative behavior that kids are doing, students are going like, I just want to say, I want to appreciate Angela for helping me clean up or William helped me with a problem that I had and problem solved with me. So it's appreciation jar instead of like any kind of a negative thing. It's more about how are we appreciating each other in the class. I could definitely see how that could reinforce positive behavior rather than, than the negatives. Yeah, you're focusing on the better things. We do what we get attention for. Absolutely. And some of our kids are even making some of those comments just to gain and garner some additional attention from others. Definitely. So um, as we kind of wrap up our time with you, William, I want you to think about um, your class as a whole and uh, think about what is one thing you wished you would have known before you stepped foot in the classroom? I wished I would have known how personally involved I am in the lives of these students when they come to my class day to day because it really has just hit me like a like a freight train in terms of I did not realize how personally involved I would become in terms of how much I care about them learning in my classroom and the quality of the learning. I you know I really thought coming into my classroom it's like you know you know whether or not they learn in my class I'll feel I'll feel fine. It's just so much more of a personal responsibility than I felt. And I hope that other people take that and understand that there are work-life boundaries. But, you know, when I'm at school, I'm there for the kids. I'm there for them to learn and have a positive experience in my classroom and to also have a good role model to choose from. So advocating for yourself in a respectful manner, but also just understanding that, you know, this is an adult in the room that will talk through problems or who you can tell hey, I haven't eaten today. I really would appreciate if you had a snack for me or do you mind really letting me use the restroom? I promise you I'm not trying to leave your class. It is an emergency. So just becoming more, I I really care about them, you know, and that's really surprised me. Of course, I knew I would care about the students I spend time with, but just having it happen like in real time has just been an amazing experience. 
That's so awesome. It is a lot of of weight on our shoulders as educators of, yes. of that personal connection with students. I would always tell you, make sure you practice self-care because yes. self-care is extremely important. I know sometimes people are like, oh, self-care. But really, it's so important to make sure that we are taking opportunities to fill our buckets too before we go back into the classroom the next day. Yes, so. I'm really thankful for that. I have a very supportive fiance who's also a teacher. Oh, and that's she is very, very responsible towards work-life boundaries, where the point is I'm sending an email at 4.30, I'm already home, and she's, are you sending an email at 4.30 p.m. outside of work? So she's she's been my rock. Oh, that's awesome. Well, William, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to I've Tried Everything. Join me next week as we continue on our journey for behavior supports in schools. Remember to subscribe. And you can always find great resources at Region 13's website. Just search behavior. Talk to you next time.